and praise often. And so thank you all for lending your voices today already and uh, lifting up our praise to God. Let me invite you to open your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start there today, Colossians chapter 1. This is Vacation Bible School Week, and our theme verse for this week is from Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 16 and 17. But before we get to that point, uh, last uh, week at camp, as camp pastor, I had the opportunity to share uh, sermons every night in, in chapel, and I felt God leading me to Genesis chapters 1 and, and 2 and 3, and as I preached every night, the theme was spiritual selfies. You know, a selfie is you take a picture of yourself. It's a popular thing to do today in our age for some reason. But spiritual selfies, learning to see ourselves the way God sees us, not the way the world sees us. Don't even look at yourself the way you see yourself. But how does God see you? That's the most important thing, I believe, that we can understand. And so after I would preached those sermons throughout the week, come to find out it was the same almost exact material that our VBS messages are going to be this week. And so I thought I was doing something clever and, being, and doing something creative and, and uh, come to find out. But it just reinforced to me how important it is to be able to go back and look at the beginning to understand who God is. And the theme for Vacation Bible School is Galactic Starveyors Discovering the God of the Universe. And as we begin to learn more and more about God, there's something really amazing that happens. The more you know about God, the more reasons you have to love God. And the more reason you have to love God, the more reason you have to live for God. And so I believe through this week, you can grow in your love for Jesus by growing in your knowledge of him and who is jesus let me invite you to stand with me in reverence for the reading of god's word let's look at colossians chapter 1 starting at verse 15 the apostle paul under the inspiration of the holy spirit writes these following words about jesus christ he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Let's pray together. God, it is so good to be in Your house today with Your people and to open up Your Word and to allow Your Spirit to speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that all you would have for us to hear today, that we would hear it. And Father, that the more we learn about you, the more we would love you, and the more we would live a life that reflects your love for us. Father, I pray you would speak today, and if there is anyone here, anyone within the sound of my voice that has never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as a result of the power of your word speaking today, we pray that salvation indeed would come. 
For those who are believers, God, I pray that you would lift us up, encourage us, bless us, give us a more sure understanding of your greatness and your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The first few chapters of the Bible are very important because they provide for us information about who God is, how we got here, what went wrong, and what God's plans are to fix our mess. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Genesis provide not only information, but it also it shows us how God is distinct. It teaches how God is different from all the other gods that man has created. And God is so distinct, He is so worthy of our allegiance for several reasons. First of all, you are created by God. Genesis 1 and 2 provide the foundation for understanding everything, that we have a God, a God who is a creator, a God who has created everything, and that includes you. You have been created by God, created specifically by His Word. We see that in the first chapter of Genesis. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was. And so the power of His Word, all things were created. There was nothing until God spoke, and then there was something. There was darkness till God spoke, and then there was light. We serve a God who has created everything by the power of His Word. We know there is a Creator because God has spoken to us through creation. We call that general revelation. We can look around and see, wow, there are things here. They got here somehow. God created it. God speaks to us even through our conscience. We even know not only is there a Creator God, there is a God who is moral, who has a code of right and wrong in our, in our sense of guilt that we feel when we sin. is a reminder to us there is a God and that we have sinned against Him. Yet it is His Word, the Scripture, the special revelation of God that shows us what God has done to fix our sin problem. You were created by God, by His Word. But also you were created by God in His image. Chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the cattle over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. So when it talks about us being in the image of God, it, not, it does not mean physically, because we know that God, according to the Bible, is spirit. God does not have a physical body like we do. But to be in God's image is what? What have we seen about God already? That God is a creator. And so creativity comes from that. God gave man authority over all that was created, and God is the authority. And so to be in God's image means that we have authority. And we are to rule and we are to, to manage and be good stewards of all that God has created. But when God said, let us make man in our own image, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, together from all eternity, God has existed in community with Himself, with the three persons of the Godhead. So to be in God's image means that we are personal beings. God created us for relationships. A relationship with Him, a relationship with others. 
We are created to be in a covenant community. And that's what the church is. God has created the church to to be a reflection of His image. And we find fulfillment in the image of God when we grow and come together and serve together and worship together and pray together. We are in God's image, but also you are created by God for His glory. The end of chapter 1, verse 31, God saw all that He had made, and behold, it was very good. So there is a sense of what is good, and God is the standard for that, is He not? God saw all that He made, and in the eyes of God, everything He made was very good. And then we read also, as we did in Colossians chapter 1, that through Christ all things were made all things were made by him and for him creation was made to glorify Jesus Christ creation was made and that includes you you were created to glorify God by a relationship with him through his son Jesus Christ Adam and Eve created in God's image placed in this beautiful garden given everything that they would ever need everything they would ever desire I don't know if you've ever known anybody in your life that was born with what we call the silver spoon. Just everything that they have was just handed to them. Didn't have to work or earn anything. Everything was, was just given to them. And if you were like me, that when you see situations like that, you, you can get a little bitter if we're honest about that and say, well, that's not fair. They have all that and just given to them freely. In our story here, we see Adam and Eve placed in this garden and given everything they would ever need and desire. And then there is an enemy, very bitter about this, an enemy that is opposed to God, an enemy who had himself rebelled against God, even though God had made him. An enemy who comes to God's creation, an enemy who comes to mankind and says, I'm bitter, I'm upset about this, I'm going to see if I can't destroy what God has made. So then we come to chapter 3 and we see not only are you created by God, you have sinned against God. Despite all of mankind's privileges, mankind chose to rebel against the God who made him and the God who had provided everything for him. We see in chapter 3 in the first, first six verses the entrance of sin. The serpent who the New Testament identifies as Satan The serpent was more crafty than all the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, so not only does God speak, we see the enemy speaks. So we've got two opposing uh, opposing voices here. The voice of truth and the voice of falsehood. So Adam and Eve are presented with a a choice, with an option. Whose voice are they going to listen to? Are they going to listen to God or are they going to listen to Satan? So the story unfolds. The serpent says, Indeed, has God said? The serpent begins to attack God at his word. Has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? That was not true. The woman said, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. So now he's saying you can't trust God. God's a liar. Who's she going to trust? The voice of God? The voice of God's enemy? You surely will not die. 
For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Satan is saying, you can't trust God's character. You can't believe what God says. You can't, you can't have faith in the Word of God. So with that, verse 6, the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate gave also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Just like that, sin, rebellion, entered into creation. Everything that God had made was very good until that point where mankind chose not to have faith in the Word of God. Satan had come and thought he had wrecked and destroyed everything that God made. He had made man in his image. And Satan introduces the curse of sin into creation. And we see the effects of sin. You see what the serpent didn't tell Eve. There was a side effect. An undesirable side effect. Yeah, you can eat that tree and it can make you wise and you can know good and evil. But there's some undesirable side effects of this. First of all, moral shame. Verse 7 and 8. Their eyes were open and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings why did they do that shame they felt ashamed to be naked and exposed before God sewed fig leaves together and that's the, the first time that man ever tried to fix the shame problem and that's what religion is man made religion is man's attempts to cover his own shame by being religious by, by creating a, a standard of rules and regulations trying to cover shame. Moral shame because they were struck by guilt. Verse 8, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Again, shame, it's like they saw and then they sowed. They heard and then they hid. They wanted nothing to do with the presence of God because of shame. And guilt, that's what sin does. Drives us away from God's presence. There's spiritual separation, verses 9 and 10. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Symbolizing there was a, a, a distance, symbolizing that man was no longer in the presence of God. Verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Separation cut off from the holy presence of God. A relationship that once was close has now been severed. Relational selfishness, verses 11 through 13. God said to the man, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. So Adam is saying it's the woman's fault. But not only is it the woman's fault, it's your fault, God. The woman whom you gave me. You gave me this woman to be with me. She caused me to sin. It's her fault. In reality, God, it's your fault. Then the, God, the Lord God said to the woman in verse 13, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. Instead of confessing sin, instead of repenting of sin and acknowledging guilt and shame and saying, God, we have transgressed. Your, your word, can you forgive us, please? No, there was blame. There was shifting of blame and allegations. Not only was man now separated from God, 
Now there was personal selfishness that interrupted man's relationship with one another. The perfect union of husband and wife had now been tainted because of sin and rebellion. Then there's God's judicial sentence in verses 14 through 19, the curse of sin. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you. More than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field, on your belly you will go, and the, and the dust of earth you will eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the hill. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you to... Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, who had listened to the voice of Satan, rather than the voice of God. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten uh, from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. You shall eat of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So sin interrupted God's, or man's relationship with God, man's relationship with one another, and also man's relationship with all of creation. Man had wrecked everything that God had made through his rebellion. We see the extent of sin in, in verse 20. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. So why is that important? Look at chapter 5, verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Well, that's a good thing. Adam's in the image of God. So all of Adam's descendants are now in the image of God. That's, that's a good thing. That's a blessing. That means every human being is worthy of dignity, honor, and respect because every human being is born in the image of God. Genesis 5.3 says every human being is born in the likeness and the image of Adam. Who is Adam? Adam's a sinner. Adam sinned against God. Every human being is born with this curse, this selfish desire, this inability to follow and seek after God and instead to put self first. The extent of sin is every human being is affected by Adam's sin. And if that's where the story ended, which it could have, if that is where the story ended, that, that would have been a, a very... It would be a bummer, wouldn't it? I remember I preached on this chapter one time. At the end of the message, a lady comes to me she said, I, I just feel that was a very negative sermon. And I said, okay. And she said, I, I think people deal with so many problems and issues in life. The last thing they need to do is come to church and be told how bad they are. They need to be lifted up and encouraged. And to that, there are two different things I would say. I say, number one, that's the truth of the message. I'm not saying anything that the Bible doesn't already say. I had a friend of mine, I mentioned this a few weeks back, whose appendix ruptured. Well, when he first went to the, the hospital, they, they x-rayed and they saw nothing wrong. They said, you're perfectly fine. And he went home, went to work. A few days later, had to come back 
oh, oops, I'm sorry, your, your appendix had ruptured and we just didn't see it. His life was jeopardized because someone did not properly diagnose the sickness the first time. It's like somebody coming to church and me saying, oh, you're okay, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. When the Word says we are all sinners, we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. It's given a false diagnosis. To give somebody hope without first telling them the, the dire situation that they are in, how loving is that? How comforting is that to just gloss over a deadly disease? The loving thing is, do, is, is you want your doctor to tell you, this is what's wrong with you. I'm going to be honest with you. You don't want to hear this, but this is the truth. This is what's wrong with you. You are mortally sick, but there is a cure. And that's the second thing I, I, I told you. must not have listened to my entire message because there was more than that, and I'm going to get to that here on this third point. You are loved by God. You were created by God. You have sinned against God. Yet you are loved by God despite your sin, despite Adam and Eve's sin. God's love for them, God's love for humanity, God's love for you is unconditional. We call that grace, undeserved favor. God loves you in spite of you. How do we know that? First of all, God pursues you. Chapter 3, verse 8. Adam and Eve had just sinned against God. They had just rebelled against God. They had just broken the commands of God. In verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves. And the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? You see, God could have been perfectly just at that point, saying, Adam, Eve, you've sinned. I'm holy. I must punish sin. And cast them straight into hell. But God was not done with Adam and Eve. God was not done with mankind. Despite your sin, God is not done with you. God pursued Adam. God called to Adam. God calls to you. God knows your name. God calls to you. He calls your name and He says, Where are you? Where are you? You are trying to hide from me because of your shame and your guilt. You are separated from me. But God calls to you. He pursues you. He loves you that much despite your sin despite your rebellion you see Jesus Jesus came on a rescue mission from the Father Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost Luke 19.10 God loved you so much he sent Jesus to seek you and to save you through his death on the cross what does that mean for us who are Christians? First of all, we praise God for Him seeking and pursuing us. But you know what? We're in the image of God. God's a missional God, is He not? God sent Jesus. He, Jesus was a missionary, came to earth on mission for us. We're in the image of God. He's a missional God. That means you and I are to be missionaries. That means God's given us the great commission. And so on God's behalf, we are to pursue men and women. We are to pursue boys and girls. We are to pursue them with the love of God, with that message of truth. Yes, you have sinned against God. You deserve condemnation. But God loves you. He's a God of grace, a God of mercy. And Jesus has come to rescue you from your sin. God pursues you. God loves you because God promises you. As He did Adam and Eve, verse 14 and 15, God promises something. He promised. He, he cursed the serpent and said, because you have done this, 
I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, that there would be one who would come forth from the woman. Mankind, humanity, would constantly be the enemy of Satan. Yet, one would come from the woman. The seed of the woman would come and bruise you on the head and you will, stri- you will strike him on the heel. You will bruise him on the heel. The image of a snake and you're walking and the snake snaps at you, bites you on the heel. And that hurts. I've never been bit by a snake, but I imagine that hurts. Especially getting bit on the heel. But the moment the snake bites on the heel, the person crushes the head of the serpent, striking down. The promise here, and this is called in in theology the Proto-Evangelion, the first good message. The first message of good news. Adam and Eve had sinned against God, yet a descendant, a seed of the woman, a Messiah would come. A promised one would come who Satan would strike on the heel. But the moment the heel was struck, there would be a death blow. A death blow given to the enemy. And on the cross, Satan thought he won. The Son of God was crucified. Mankind had rejected its Savior. Satan thought he won. He struck the heel of the seed of the woman. But at that moment, the heel came down, crushing the head of the serpents. When Jesus died on the cross, God's promise to you of a deliverer, of a Messiah, came true. God loves you that much. God provides for you, as he did for Adam and Eve. Verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Remember, they had tried to cover themselves in fig leaves. That was the best they could do. Just patch together whatever we could find, and hopefully that's good enough. God saw their condition. God says, you need, you need better coverings than that. You're trying to cover your shame and your guilt. I'm going to give you something more adequate. God provided skins for them to wear. Garments. So, well, that, was, that was really nice of God to do that. And now, now their, their shame is, is, is more adequately covered. That's good news for mankind. It was good news for Adam and Eve, yet it was bad news for that animal. You see, for God to cover man in skins, an animal had to give its life. And that was the first death in all of creation in the Garden of Eden. An innocent animal just doing its animal things. God slays it, takes its skins, makes garments for Adam and Eve because they had sinned. What's that that say to us? That means that to cover our shame adequately, God has provided a covering. An innocent victim must give its life to atone for our sin. The Old Testament sacrificial system, that's what it taught. We had sinned against God, and it was ugly, it was brutal. In order for God to cover that, an innocent victim must die, an animal must die. Its blood is to, to pay the price and to give the covering for sin. The Old Testament sacrifice is pointed towards the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus Christ, who came, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus came, He was that animal that was sacrificed, that innocent victim that was sacrificed, so that the covering for the shame and sin could be made more adequate. Man's attempt to cover shame and, and guilt is religion. It's to tie together fig leaves. That doesn't cut it. God says, I've got something better. But it requires the death of an innocent victim. And that's the cross. It's what God has done for you. It's what He's done for me. He has provided for us. We have sinned against Him. And in His grace, 
Tell me that's not good news. It's bad news. We've sinned against God and we are cursed by sin. But it's good news. God calls to you. God pursues you. God promises you a Messiah is coming. And then God provides that through Jesus, His death on the cross, and He covers your your sin and your shame. He covers it. It's complete. That's good news. How can someone walk away and say, well, that message is so negative? They didn't hear the full story. And indeed, that's what Scripture is, the full story of creation, fall, redemption. God's plan to rescue mankind from the curse of sin. Finally, God protects you. You know God loves you because He protects you He looked at Adam and Eve and saw their sinful condition. And he said, Unless man stretches out his hand and takes from the tree of life and lives forever, verse 22, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden. He drove Adam and Eve out of the garden to cultivate the ground. So he drove the man out and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim, the angel with the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. God did not want Adam and Eve in their sinful state to take from the fruit of the tree of life and live forever in that condition instead God drove Adam and Eve out so that they would have hope so that there would be a chance that they would come to find life through God your security is eternal in Christ he protects you he keeps you from yourself and the effects of your sin that you deserve God protects you God loves you that much despite your sin despite your shame the storyline of scripture and that's what we're going to look at in VBS this week and that's what the entire Bible is about God created you you've sinned against God God loves you God desires a relationship with you and so God rescues you in Christ Jesus through his death for your sin to give you forgiveness to give you his righteousness The whole thing was messed up. Why? A lack of faith in the Word of God. The only way the whole thing will be fixed, a return to faith in the Word of God. That's why faith is so crucial. That's why it's so critical. People say, well, if I could just see God, if I just had enough tangible proof, a lack of faith messed the whole thing up. Faith alone in the Son of God alone will fix all that is wrong. And not only will mankind be healed, all of creation that fell under the curse of sin because of Adam and Eve, we look around and we see the effects of sin on creation. We've got earthquakes, we've got tornadoes, we've got tsunamis, we've got cancers, we've got all kinds of physical, earthly ailments. All of creation Paul says, Romans 8, it groans, longing for the redemption and the, and the revealing of the sons of God. In our salvation, all of creation that was plunged into the curse because of us, all of creation, all of the stars and the galaxies, as beautiful as creation looks to us now, it's cursed. Imagine when we have eyes that are free from sin and its effects and brains free from the effects of sin to be able to see the splendor and the glory of creation. That day is coming. 
if you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. The redemption process is already beginning. We are not yet everything that God has intended for us to be, but through faith and repentance. Now, today, begins that first step. As you discover the God of the universe, you grow in your love for Jesus by growing in your knowledge of Him. It's vacation Bible school week. It means all hands on deck. That means it's one of the, the, the busiest, sometimes one of the most stressful weeks out of the year. A lot goes into this. But it's worth it. It's a lot of fun. We get to come and be around these kids and their energy and their, and their laughter and their joy, their enthusiasm. It's contagious. It's, it's a blessing to be here. But let's not forget the main reason why we are here. Vacation Bible School, as I've said earlier, is one of the most effective things that you and I can participate in spiritually every year. More people get saved at Vacation Bible School than any other event church-wide. It's about the gospel. It's about the good news. Good news is that God created us in His image Bad news is we have sinned against Him and it's wrecked our relationship with Him and the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God, a place the Bible calls hell. But the good news is that you are loved by God despite your sin and God calls to you. In Christ Jesus, God provided the sacrifice for your sin. And you can come and restore that relationship with Him through Jesus this week we will see that learning about the Lord and loving the Lord are linked. You can't do one without the other. You can't say you love the Lord without learning about Him. And the more you learn about Him, the more reason you'll have to love Him. So learning about the Lord and loving the Lord are linked. Discovering the God of the universe, you will grow in your love for Jesus, I'm convinced, when you grow in your knowledge of Him and what He has done for you. Let's pray together.